Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Left Hand Right Brain. I am super excited to get into this episode with the very amazing Deacon Gray. Uh, or you might know him as David Gray. Uh, Deacon's a stage name, but I met him as Deacon, and I know him as Deacon. I called him Deacon this whole podcast, and he never corrected me. So, Deacon, it is. You can catch me at this month's Comedy Save the Video Star that's going to be Saturday, July 9th at the Molecule Effect. Coffee and wine, guys. It is a music video comedy storytelling mashup show okay we're gonna have comedians tell jokes we're gonna watch music videos that they picked then we're gonna tell stories about why they like them so much we're gonna it's like beavis and butthead meets trl meets some kind of storyteller comedy show meets frankenstein i don't know guys i really enjoy this show i think it's great the last one was a huge success and we're gonna keep getting better and better guys be sure to come to the molecule effect at 7 30 for the TRL portion of the show, guys. Yeah, that's right. You come hang out, have a beer with us. Let me know what music videos you want to watch, and we will project it on the screen, guys. It's a great time, and then we're going to start the show at 8 o'clock, and then whenever the show ends, we're going to do the TRL portion until we close down the place or until everyone leaves, whatever comes first, or whenever daybreak comes, you know? Keep it going till daybreak. And as you all know, Left Hand Right Brain is brought to you each and every week by the good people at the Molecule Effect Coffee and Wine. Located on West 12th Avenue and Santa Fe Drive, they offer an entirely new approach to how coffee and wine are represented. Integrating a wine bar and coffee house enhances the unique experience one will have while visiting. Guys, I'm doing this read entirely by memory right now. Let's see if I can keep it going. To the Molecule Effect, it's about a... Well, see, I'm already fucking it up. It's about a... uh, I know they love fucking handcrafted stuff, all right? It's about a, oh, it's about a mixture of handcrafted beverages, things they love like local art, a desire to build community, and in that, guys, great chemistry is created. Yeah, that's basically the gist of the read, all right? I don't need to write in front of me. Guys, you know the molecule effect is the best, guys. Thank you so much for your support, and I can't wait to see you guys all out at the next Comedy Save the Video Star. Did I say it was absolutely free? And did I mention who was even on it, guys? All right, Janae Burris. All right, maybe you know her from this podcast or from seeing her at Comedy Works all the time now. All right, maybe you, you've heard of Daniel Reskin on this podcast. All right, these are all basically LHRB all-stars. Then we got Silas Corson coming back on. And I think that's going to round out the show for this month, guys. It's going to be a great one. All right, you're going to want to come see what, what crazy music video Janae picks because you know she's going to pick a good one. You know she's going to pick a good one. All right, guys.
Be sure to come check out the DCPN Showcase. Huh? You've heard the podcast. You know what the DCPN is. It's a comedy podcast community made up of podcasts that I enjoy and think you will too, such as David Germain's Disjointed Podcasts, Words with Wayman, One Blunt Radio with Bear Quattlebaum and Jacob Hamill, guys. All right, so you'll be able to see us tell some jokes at El Torito. That's going to be Wednesday the 13th in the Comedy Room Room. I'll be on it, along with some other people from the DCPN. All right, guys, it's going to be a fun time. Come check it out. You can find more information about that at our Facebook page. It's the DCPN Showcase on Facebook. Find us and like us on Facebook. So like I said, this episode is a real fun with Deacon Gray. I introduced him in the podcast, so you'll hear all of his credits. Uh, Be sure to look him up on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the social medias. He's around. He is a just a very generous, giving soul, a hilarious dude, and I think you're going to like him. So enjoy this week's LHRB podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Left Hand Right Brain. I'm coming at you from El Torito, the five-star dive bar. We're here in the comedy room room. Who am I here with, you're asking? I'm here with uh, comic extraordinaire Deacon Gray. Hi, everybody. There he is. He's been doing comedy for 30 years. That's a long time. Originally from Oklahoma. He's the new talent coordinator at... Comedy Works. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> comedy Works. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's, he's been around, you know. Oh, gosh. You make me sound like a whore. Um, <laughs> I, no, I'm, I, uh, I started doing comedy in 1986 in Oklahoma at a club called Jokers. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been coming to Denver a long time. I've been coming to Colorado, I should say, since probably 88. Uh, Lewis Johnson uh, got me my first gig at Comedy Works Wow! Uh, when they had a club in Fort Collins. They used to have a B room up in Fort Collins. Uh, and I got, I started just... This is how lucky I am. I started there like a month after Wendy Curtis started there. So we became friends, and we grew up in the business together. She, she grew up on the business side, and I grew up on the, the comedy side. Um, and so when I moved here, um, she offered me a position as new talent coordinator. I've been that for 12 years. And it's awesome. I'm, a, I'm so lucky. I'm a lucky, lucky man. Yeah, uh, so you moved to, uh, here in 2001. 2001. Right, so it's yeah. been 15 years here in Denver. Nice. So you must have seen it grow, you know, exponentially. It's, it's funny um, how it's... When I moved here, it was so different from when I used to visit here. I was like, wow, this place has really changed, you know. Because right then was when they had done the, just started the building on the... Uh, uh, the ballpark mm-hmm. and that whole area cleaning yeah. up Union Station because it used to be when you come to Denver like Union Station was a seedy area that was a right. bad place like if you wanted to buy drugs you went down to where the trains were um, and now it's like you know it's so clean and spotless and oh everything. yeah um, and, but now to see how it's changed in the 15 years since I've lived here just the, um, the condo nation that we were building here <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> um, it's it's pretty interesting because um, um, I, I will say this: I, I feel like uh, like Denver has planned the city a lot better than than Oklahoma ever thought about doing. Uh, Oklahoma is so spread out and so sprawled, uh, and uh, D- 
Denver has done a pretty good job of keeping it compact. And we, we have a little bit of sprawl, but not as, not as bad as in some other cities I've seen. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe part of that is, like, we just don't have anywhere to go. There's mountains. You, can, you, can, you have to stop at a point, so I guess. Yeah. Yeah, especially with all the fires and stuff. You can't uh, yeah. get in there too much. No. No. Anyway. <laughs> Hi. Uh, this whole podcast is going to be about Denver real estate, by the way. So it's going to be really, really, <laughs> strap in, everybody. really funny and exciting. No, I think uh, one of the things I really wanted to uh, get you on to talk about was uh, creativity. You know, it's something that we've uh, talked about a little bit, something that you talk about. I mean, your talking shop was a, uh, a clinic on creativity and, you know, the stand-up, mm-hmm. um, you know, and just through your eyes and how you've experienced it. Creativity is, is, a, is a really important subject to me because, um, like, I don't, I don't know if I really started out to be a stand-up comic. When I, I, I think everybody's creative roots uh, come in different places. And, um, and one day I'm going to write a book about this. I want to I write about how various elements of my stand-up comedy came from other aspects of life. And like how you can get creative lessons from non-creative sources, mm-hmm. but I think, like for example, I think most people's first introduction to a, a joke, for example, like what is a joke, mm-hmm. is probably either like say a, a, a bazooka joke bubblegum strip, right, or uh, or some like a cartoon strip in a comic book. That's, I think that's the first time any of us ever see, like, oh, this is a joke expressed in written form. This is what it looks like on a page. Uh-huh. Um, and so I think a lot of our comedy is un- unknowingly formed by these early things that we see. A lot of setup punchline. I mean, that's yeah, how yeah. You- and I, and I, like a lot of what I'm teaching now, uh, it's people I can tell after talking to them a bit, like where their influences are. I can say, because they're really, like, they'll be stuck in a. Fr- particular format from a particular era um like a lot of time like a lot of people come uh, and they think like oh okay uh, a stand-up comedy sketch is like uh like monty python and there'll be a guy knock on a door and the guy say come in and he'll come in and they'll exchange greetings and maybe there's a funny name haha that gives it an easy laugh but then they go back and forth and then they're into it mm-hmm. right but our modern comedy has changed so much that we don't need all of that intro anymore. People just want to get right into it. Yeah. So more than likely a sketch now is going to start just right in the office. There's not going to be any knocking on any door. There's going to be two people there. We don't need any introduction. And one of them will just start off saying something like, you're fired. And that's how a sketch will start. Mm-hmm. Because we don't need all that other introduction. And it's, and it's an example of how like, a format has changed even over my lifetime. You know, if you did a sketch like a Monty Python sketch now, it wouldn't seem right because it would seem like, oh, well, you're doing that. And I, and I see that, like, even in some of the comics I grew up with. Like, if you go back and listen to some of, like, Bill Hicks stuff, uh-huh. and I love Bill Hicks. I think, I think he was a genius. But uh, a lot of that stuff, that, that style and that format of delivery has changed today that if you did it, it would seem really dated. Right. Uh, and, I, and I see comics imitating these other old comics, and I'm like, hey, you know, you should maybe look at some more contemporary people and see what's, Interesting, going, on, what's yeah. going on now. You know, do you think it comes in waves, you know, like, you know, fads, trends, like, uh, well, know, styles? I, I think our, our ways of communicating change over the years. So you can't go back. Right, yeah. You know, like it, it, it's like saying, hey, gosh, I wish I could do more comedy via telegram. Right. <laughs> you know, nobody's going to do that, uh-huh. right? Uh, and... and um, 
I, I try to be careful to to remember that you know like technology changes and uh, and we have to change with it. Um, think about this. Think of how many comics you've seen at local open mics who do jokes about uh, texts they've received. Yeah. Oh man. You know, or or uh, oh oh autocorrect. Here's how autocorrect messed me up. You yeah. Know? Uh -huh. You know, uh, and uh, that would never have gone the other day in, back in my day, um, and I think funny thing 10 years from now people look back and they go you guys still doing that you know right yeah um and it's just it's just the ways people communicate i think i think that changes it more than anything i think um that reminds me when i was listening to born standing up not too long ago you know uh steve martin does a couple of his bits here and there on the audiobook um uh -huh. so it's funny to hear him you know perform it in a way uh but, you know, I was thinking, like, if he was on the open mic scene right now, I mean, everyone would just be calling him a hack. Oh, yeah. It would be like, this is the, you know, this is the worst hackiest shit ever. Right. You know? Because at his time, he was doing, um, he was doing, like, irony. He was coming out and saying, I'm going to be silly to the point where it's ironic. Like, he's commenting on what we see as, as entertainment. Uh-huh. All right. But if he does that now, he's no longer commenting on the contemporary time. He's like, hey, here's what we used to think back then. Yeah. And okay. so it's dated, you know. He, um, but I think Steve Martin's fantastic. Like, if you watch his modern stuff, he is so, I think he's still very good at commenting on society. Mm -hmm. um, uh, he just can't do that old material anymore. It's just, right, yeah. You yeah. know, he, he's adapted. He just, he just adapted in a different way, in yeah. a non-stand-up way. Yeah, it's really interesting that, you know, he, he reading his books, that he came up through all these, you know, traditional, like, performing almost vaudeville stuff, doing magic, theater, things like that. He, he worked at, like, a Boone's Farm or something like that. Yeah. You know? Uh-huh. Uh, which I think is great. I, I love that. So it's a wacky way. I mean, I mean, the only way, it's like a... Hey, the, the other thing I loved about his book was, like, um, it's like just how, like, a, an amazing break would just coincidentally happen. Like he met this girl at a bar, and they're like they like start this relationship. He takes her, she takes him home to meet her dad, and her dad is this producer who yeah. produces all these <laughs> movies. And you're like, wow, what that was lucky, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, I was thinking, I, uh, it's like Spartan training for comedy or like a, a, a theater and acting and you know inter entertainment. You know, working at Boone's Farm and you know growing up yeah. in those entertainment things the way he. But did. that goes into what I was saying. Huh? There were lessons he learned from doing hokey magic shows. Mm -hmm that he could apply to his stand-up comedy. Now, ways of presentation, ways of getting people involved um, that I think served him well in his stand-up. And I think everybody takes lessons from other areas of their life and applies that to their stand-up. Right. So being so engrossed in the form was the only way he could step out of it and then poke fun at it? Exactly, exactly. He, he, there, there's a rule uh, in improv, and, and, and people always give the half rule. Uh, in improv, they say, you know, there's no rules in improv. You always hear people say that. But that's actually half the rule. The, the rule, the official rule is there are no rules in improv that cannot be broken given the right situation. Mm -hmm. Right? But right. people always forget that, that second part. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. uh, that part's and, the boring part. <laughs> well, well, the point is, is that you have to be good enough and f familiar enough with the format and the, and, and the delivery uh, and the... And, Everybody involved has to be that good uh -huh. uh, so that you can break the rules. Uh, like uh, a perfect example, um, one of the token rules, and again, like if they say no, there's no rule in improv, but here's one. Uh, you're not supposed to ask questions. Right. Yeah, you're not supposed to demand information. The idea is you're supposed to give gifts. You give information, and then they give you information back. But 
if you're really good, you can do schemes where you do nothing but ask questions. All right. Yeah. If yeah. everybody's so aware, yeah. If everybody is aware that you're breaking the form, then you can have fun doing that. Right. So you can break that rule, uh, but it has to be a situation where everybody knows it. You can't just say there's no rules. Right. Yeah. Because there are. Yeah. <laughs> so or, um, you're talking about creativity in your book, um, in, in your talking shop, which I listened to right before I got here, so it's fresh in my mind. Oh no. Um, you're talking about you know how you took uh, different lessons from other parts of your life yeah. and apply them to uh, right. to stand up. Yeah. So that's what the book would be geared towards. Well, uh, uh, let me let me see if I can give an example. Like I um, my my degree in college is journalism. Okay. Uh, and uh, and and the reason I, it was that was because I wanted to write for television, but there were no classes at that at the University of Oklahoma. There was nothing even approaching that. So I had to kind of cobble together what I thought would give me a base from which I could work. Yeah. And so the closest thing they had was uh, broadcast journalism. And that, that was writing for air. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, that, uh, that'll teach me the behind the scenes of what it's like to put the stuff together. Um, and one thing I found over, over the years is that the way they taught me to write for air the way they write, they taught me to write for TV journalism is very similar to how I teach comics how to write stand-up comedy. Because uh, in, in, on, on, on air, in, in TV journalism, the f- they want you to get right to the point. You got to get right to the point. Trim the fat. The, you know, and they lead, they lead with the point of the story. And, right. And then, yeah. and then fill in the details. Right. And so many comics do the opposite of that. Like, hey, I'm going to build up some anticipation with all these details. And then when the, when the punchline hits, boom, yeah. the audience will remember all of that stuff that I told them. Right. But, but they never do. You know? But if you started with the funny part, the, the, the thing, and then give all the details, they would laugh at the details, too. Uh, and that's a lesson I took from TV journalism. Okay, yeah. And, and it's not a stand-up lesson by any means. They weren't teaching me how to write stand-up, but they were teaching me a way of presenting information so that the audience could digest it easy. Mm-hmm. And gosh, that's useful in comedy, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, so a lot of my book is going to be stuff like that, how like they teach you less, lessons I've picked from other places, uh, from the WWE, lessons I've picked oh, uh, yeah. from jazz. Kayfabe, huh? You know, there's a lot of stuff that you can pick up from other areas of life that apply. Uh, my ex-wife was an architect. Okay. Uh, and gosh, it gave me an eye for detail that I didn't have before. Interesting. Um, so there's, a, a, I, I, think, I think there's a lot of lessons in life that apply to creativity and, and not just stand up. I'm just I'm just gonna filter it through stand up because that's my particular form. Yeah. But I I think it applies in anything. Like if you're a musician, there are, I think there are ways you could pick up lessons from other areas too. Because hmm. you're putting it through your filter. Comedy is your the filter through which that's you see my, the world. That's my art. Yeah. That's my art, but uh, it's been influenced by so many other areas and other arts mm-hmm. and other non arts too. So can we go back I just the architecture thing, applying it to stand up yeah. Really, because uh, I was thinking structure. Yeah. You know, but you said detail. What? Are, well, you... uh, structure and detail. Um, <laughs> there's a certain uh, there's a certain approach to a building when when they're uh, and this is something I, I never knew until I, I, I dated an architect. Uh, that you they, said married. I, I did marry. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. 
I, I dated uh, and married her and divorced gotcha. her. All right, so let's go through the whole thing. <laughs> um, but, um, for example, um, the modern buildings, you'll notice, almost always do something visually to point you to where the door is. Oh, huh. I never, yeah, I would never have noticed, or you know, no. yeah, you never think about that. Yeah, yeah. But it's one of the key things of architecture. You got to, huh. especially a commercial building, they got to know where the door is, right? They got to know where the entrance is, uh, and that's useful in comedy too. It's like, okay, I'm going to present a block of information. I got to make sure they have a way in and out. Mm -hmm. So think about that first, and then build the building. Right. You know, uh, so that's that's a oversimplification, but it kind of talks about what I'm talking about. No, no, that's great. Yeah. And, and then once they're in, you got to make sure that there's something visual that guides them. Like, uh, think about like a hospital and how many pointers there are in the hospital that direct yeah. you. Uh-huh. Right? And that's something an architect has to think about. Um, and so it's the same thing when you're putting together an act. You got to think, how am I, how am I going to build this so it leads them where I want them to go? And uh -huh. then takes them to the exit. Yeah. Um, well, the one thing that just came to mind there is like you're the leader, you're the captain, you're captaining, captaining right. the ship. So exactly, you're you're the thing they're following. I'm building the maze that the mice are going. <laughs> wow, that's next level stuff right there. That's what I'm saying. I'm like, come on, guys, follow me. I'm the camp leader. But I have to I'm do it also in a way so that it's aesthetically pleasing and they don't realize that they're being. Yeah, led. yeah, that's the whole thing. And that's where manipulation. That's where detail comes in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because so, totally an architect goes, oh, okay. You know, let's do this. Uh, like, I, I love stuff like, uh, gosh, about twenty years ago, we had a real rash of people. Uh, bad things. A rash of people. A rash of people <laughs> uh -oh. who were driving, uh, who were robbing uh, WalMarts, and what they would do is they would drive a car into the front door of the Walmart because they had those big sliding glass doors, and they still do. Uh huh. And then you'll notice like Target and all these other places, all of a sudden they have these little poles or they'll mm -hmm. have uh, big round balls. And it's fun. It's been fun for me to watch the evolution as they try to make those more and more aesthetic. So now they're planters. Yeah. They're big, huge planters. Yeah, yeah. You know, Target has the big round ball. Yeah, red <laughs> balls. I would never have thought that's what it was. Uh... But it's, it's, and you think, oh, why is that there? That's cute. And then, you know, oh, no, it's to keep people from driving their car in the front of the yeah. <laughs> Dang. So they drive the car in the front of the building and just rob the, all the registers? Or? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, well, they, back then, like, targets weren't open 24 hours, so they would just, like, wait until it was closed, drive in. Oh, gotcha. And then take, grab all they could and yeah, get, yeah. get out. Damn, that's crazy. And, and then that's it's stuff, it's weird stuff that architects have to think about. Yeah, yeah. It's just so funny how dis, dis, uh, the distance between, you know, like, what, what the actual uh, function of the thing is and, like, you know, what we see. Yeah, yeah, we. Well, I just always thought they were like, oh, this is some weird de decoration. Yeah, this is a, a kooky thing. Choice. This, the targets, you know, wackiness. <laughs> no. It's their marketing. They just don't want you to drive your car in there. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> it's a protection. Um, gosh, I had a point there that just jumped at me, but it jumped. Oh, uh, uh, let me let me get. Here's another example. Have you ever um, had a situation where you like you have a joke and you're writing it, and there's like one word. That you're like, oh man, should I say this word or this? And it's just like a slightest degree of tone. Like if you say this word as opposed to this word, it has just the slightest different. But you, ooh, you just agonize over it. I have seen my ex-wife used to agonize that same way over like tile. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like she would show me these two, which to me looked 
absolutely identical pieces of tile. Uh-huh. She go, which one? And I'm oh, like, oh my god. She goes, I have to figure out by tomorrow. I'm like, really? <laughs> and, and and I and I felt that same feeling over like a joke. And uh-huh. she probably thought it was the same thing. She's probably like, really? Just pick one. It doesn't Just matter. Pick, it doesn't matter. I'm gonna laugh either way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny how like we have that same that same thing in both in both fields. Yeah, when it's your art and it's your thing, I mean, every every detail matters. Oh my god, <laughs> tile! Oh, she would show me light bulbs until like I was just my my eyes would glaze over. Like I don't care. So how'd you meet an architect? That's a really we went, to, we went to college together. Oh, okay, went All to right. college. We met in college. And she did she like the uh, the comedian lifestyle going out? And well, no, that's the, that's kind of eventually what broke us apart. Oh. But uh, we met oddly enough in a theater class in in, in college. So, All right, so she kind of knew the. Yeah, well, she had to take a theater class. Oh, okay. Like, I think there was some, there was some like you had to take a certain amount of liberal arts, mm-hmm. uh, and so, so you're well rounded. And that was an easy one for most people. Like intro to theater, that's pretty simple. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, intro to theater I think was one of the harder classes I took. Oh god! Because they make you do like monologues, they make you do a little a scene, and then you write your own little one act. Yeah, and perform but, it at the but, end. But for me, that well, was for you, you know, yeah. Like it's like, hey, let me write everybody else's. <laughs> hey, you could be in mine, and we'll, you know, like I would right. like I'd, I'd want to do more than they wanted me to do. So you said that you started off writing like in a group, like sketch, and then it just kind of you found you like writing for yourself more. Yeah, I. Um, it was way back when you first started. Well, in high school, you know, I didn't even really... Teenage I kn- Deacon. I knew what stand-up your hair was. Uh, I did, actually. Nice. I, I had kind of a... Real dazed and confused kind of? Uh, no, it was more of a, like a, mo- like a... Think of a modified, like, Thompson Twins kind of thing. Thompson Twins. I know. That's an <laughs> odd reference. Uh, think, uh, think Lost Boys. Okay. Yeah, yeah. More like Lost All right, Boys. okay. Okay. Um, but I was just... I was skin- I was I was like a matchstick. I was skinny as hell like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would have so, killed to be skinny in high school. All right. Oh so, uh, <laughs> so in college, in high school, it, it was all improv. That's what the my my high school theater teacher taught was improv. So, uh, and I was pretty good at that. And, and I'd always written stuff. Like in in fifth grade, uh, there was a. It was funny. I thought pretty progressive for a fifth grade. We had a, a, a student newspaper for oh, wow. fifth grade. What? They would, but they would do it once a month, and it was just kind of a thing to get students to write. And yeah, everything. yeah. Uh, and I volunteered, and they let me do the comic strip. Oh, cool. Yeah. And so I, you wrote little like original like comics that I, you did. I did. Awesome. <laughs> I went fifth grade. And Which I, one do you remember? Oh God. Um, I remember there was one about. And, and this was funny because I thought this was so clever because I didn't really know how to draw. So the cartoon was called The Invisible Kids. Okay. <laughs> and it was just word balloons. All right. <laughs> so that's, they were just, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just jokes. Basically, I was just writing uh-huh. a joke without drawing anything. Uh, and one of them wandered on, a, on an archery course or something, and there were arrows sticking out of it or something. It was something stupid like that. <laughs> but it, I, I just thought, I just love the fact that they're like, hey, I'll do the comic strip. Like, like, I was the expert yeah, at, that's in the, fifth yeah. grade. You want to be the funny kid. That's, I I'm, totally get that. I'm 11. <laughs> you know? What were the articles? More Pizza Friday should be Pizza Tuesdays as well. Hey, what's the deal with teaching us to play the flute? <laughs> yeah. What's this recorder thing? I don't that, see that, anyone that, making that, albums with the recorder. That's the other thing I remember in the fifth grade was the recorder. Yeah, that's bullshit. The recorder's bullshit. And, it, and fifth, fifth grade was the first year um, uh, I was bust. That was the first year that I was a bust as a child, so they a they bust. they would uh, 
in the school integration, that's how old I am. Oh, okay. Uh, um, they, I would get picked up in the morning on the south side of, ta- uh, of town, and they would drive us to the north side of town. Okay. And I went to Martin Luther King. Okay, school. so you're going to... I was going to the black, the black side of the Yeah, okay. To, to the so they're bussing you in. Yeah, That's they bust me. They bust the okay. white kids over to the... So you were the exposure to the other side. I was. You were the minority. I was. But it was cool. I, you liked it? Because you were the different. You were the other. You know what? When Fifth grade, who cares? Like, sure. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah. like they more kids to play with. Awesome. Yeah. You know? Uh, that was probably my first exposure to basketball. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know? Your podcast comedy in the paint? Yeah. So, I mean, gosh, I, I loved it. I, uh, first time they made us take a music class. Uh, so uh, there was a lot of great things about it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The exposure and just... The I make fun game. of it now, but yeah. I'm glad they tra- taught me the recorder. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. And plus I got to do a comic strip for a newspaper. Who does that? Yeah, that's awesome. fifth grade. <laughs> that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it was awesome. So, uh, yeah, I... I, I Fifth grade, I, I I didn't even have a concept of race yet, you know. That's good. I mean, that's which awesome. is great. Which is great. I, that's progress over you know my parents yeah, obviously, and then for sure, and then over my grandparents for sure. Holy cow! <laughs> yeah, uh, I'd like to think if I had had kids, that they would be even more progressive than me, and so forth and so on. Right. Not that's that, always the goal. Not that I'm not. I'm pretty damn progressive. So. <laughs> so there's still time. Yeah, they would have to be like. Like, I would be worried my kids would go the other way. Like, <laughs> oh. like I'm so liberal that they would, like, they would have to be conservative just to rebel against me. Oh, no. Uh, so what, uh, when did you start uh, finding these uh, tools to enhance your creativity? Oh, uh, well, okay. Um, I or had, start seeking them out or start figuring out, like, oh. Well, I, I didn't do- really, I, you know, that's the thing. I didn't even think about it. In high school, like I said, I didn't, I didn't even know stand-up comedy was a, was a possibility. I mean, I, I had seen them on, like, The Tonight Show. I remember seeing comics on that and thinking it was pretty cool. And my brothers had exposed me somewhat to some comedy albums growing up, um, like Cheech and Chong and, okay. and George Carlin. Um, not Richard Pryor, which is weird. My brothers never had any George, never had any Richard Pryor, but they had uh, George they had Carlin. They Cheech and Chong. They had Bill good. Cosby. Pretty cool. Yeah. Um, the cast. There's, uh, there's a legendary album that uh, he had taken off the market called uh, 8 15 12 15 and it was a double album and uh, the fir- and it was two shows in Las Vegas and the first show was the 8 15 and the second was the 12 15 okay but the 12 15 was dirty oh so that's Cosby why they're doing dirty so the Cosby dirty album and I Whoa. still have that record oh awesome <laughs> yeah I need to find a way to transpose it over to digital yeah, but um, that'd be awesome. I'd totally love to hear that. So, so that was kind of my and and it was funny. What was dirty then was like we'd be like that'd be yeah. the eight fifteen show now, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I had some exposure to it, but I, I didn't really understand that that was something you could do. And honestly, I, at that time, it probably really wasn't something you could do. Like a kid from Oklahoma, eh, it's probably not something they should pursue. If you were in New York and L.A., maybe. But you know. You, it, it, a showbiz life back then was still like a carnival life. You know, it's like, oh, you might as well be a clown in the circus. Right. Um, on the fringes of society. It's very Shakespearean in that way. You know, you're traveling around, oh, you know, oh, yeah. on the outskirts of the town, coming so, in to just perform and then going back to your carny village. <laughs> I never really thought of it at that time like, oh, man, I need a creative outlet. I've got to have some, I've got this creativity inside of me. i got to let loose. I just did stupid stuff, and I was just like, and I kind of 
got a kick out of doing all the dumb stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was funny because I, you know, I was completely sober. So like all my drunk friends thought it was hilarious, but I was like, it's just me normally. And, and so I never really thought of it as like, oh, I've got this stuff inside of me. I got to get through, you know, um, until, until later in life. But I had a friend in high school, a girl I was dating, my first crush, who um, must have known something because she gave me a couple of things. One, one, one year she gave me, she gave me Graham Chapman's autobiography. Graham Chapman. Graham Chapman, who was in uh, Monty Python. Okay. Yeah. Um, which, so that was fascinating to read that because it was such a different world. Like all I knew was the on the screen stuff. So to, mm-hmm. to get that back behind the scenes stuff and, and then, and then the gay stuff, that was kind of like my first like, Ooh, Oh, Oh, okay. Yeah. There's that too. All right. You know? Yeah. Uh, and then, um, then she gave me, um, this, this pack and it's a pack. Of, it's a deck of cards and it's called a creative whack pack. And it's by a guy named Roger Von, Roger Von Oak. And I brought it here. I have it here with me. Yeah. Uh, and what it is, it's, um, they're they're blockbusters. Um, they're like they're techniques of uh, looking at things in a different way. Okay. So, so if you're stuck on something, you can like look through here, and sometimes you can find a different approach that'll help you s- solve that s- problem. All right. Um, and it was the first time I became aware, uh, one that there was times when I got blocked. Uh, and like creatively. Yeah, creatively. Like oh, I just thought that I had dry periods, or I just was not doing it at that time or whatever. Uh-huh. And I didn't realize that I just wasn't doing it because I stuck, you know. Um, and, then, um, and then also that, oh, I could, this, this is a problem that I can fix. This is something I can work on and, mm-hmm. and do, you know. I can, I can, I can correct this. Uh, so this really, it really helped me start to approach it. And then it wasn't long after that. I think it was like, maybe I may have been 19 uh, when somebody suggested The Artist's Way, which is a book by Julia Cameron, yeah, uh, which is another book about creativity. Uh, and by that time, I had already started writing sketches for a, a, an improv slash sketch group. Uh, and so I kind of started to get the idea like, oh, this is hard work, you know, sitting down and putting stuff on paper. and de- that, that it is work. Yeah, and dealing with these personalities because I always thought, oh, this would be easy. I just sit around and jokes, yeah. and I'll put them down on paper and ba-boom, you know, there it is. Uh-huh. And that was, so that was the first time I started approaching it as like, oh, this is, this is something I have to work on. Mm-hmm. And this, this is a job, you know. Um, and it's funny, I think a lot of comics early on, when they hit that point, that's when they quit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I think there's a lot of people out there who's, who still have this kind of idea that comedy is this glamorous thing and, you know, yeah. I'll just jump in and be it's easy. works, and, yeah, and it's and supposed to be fun all the time. Yeah, and then, the, and then they meet the work part and they're like, well, hell, I get paid more than <laughs> my other job. Yeah, to work there. So why wouldn't I do that? Uh-huh. Um, and then and the comics stick because they have no other choice, really. Yeah. Um, so... I would say those three things, like like those those three books, are and I one's a deck of cards, but those three approaches really kind of made me start to think about it uh, more. How do, how do I say this? Like not so much on the surface, but like the workings of it. Like how, how you know I I just thought things were funny because they were funny, uh-huh. uh, and so that it really started to make me think of like why is this funny. And if I can understand why it's funny, then maybe I can 
uh, write that better. I can, I, can, I can find more things. Oh, okay, I understand why it's funny, so now I can search for other things that have that same thing. What's one of the, the things you found like, oh, oh, this is like a, a key or like a tool that I can use to be funny. Like I read that book by Peter McGrew, The Humor Code, and that's all about the benign violation theory is what he, he has, you know. I don't know if you heard of his uh, thing over in Boulder, Hurl, the humor something I've, I haven't I haven't lab. looked into it yet. I haven't looked into oh, it yeah. yet. But uh, explain the benign thing to me because that's um, fascinating. It's like a, it's a Venn diagram where it's like, you know, you have the benign, and the violation. So the benign is like an, an old person's walking or something. Mm-hmm. And then the violation is they fall. Right. And then uh, the, the Venn diagram comes together, which is humor, where like they get up and they're fine. You know, okay. so it's like the tension's released. Right. You know, and it's like, right. oh, ha, ha, ha. Yeah, okay. You know, I don't know. That right. wasn't a great example, but, no, you know, there's no, a benign I, violation, and oh, that's where humor benign is. Benign violation. <laughs> yeah. just, that sounds so awful. I know. It's, it's, it's weird to, to break it down, humor down like benign that. Benign violation. That's where you ask the woman to put her finger in your butt. Uh, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a benign violation it's a violation but you asked her to do it so it's okay yeah you got it uh, okay um, so basically he's saying uh, you've got uh, uh, you've got your uh, conflict and your resolution yeah and yeah. then the, the tension the building of tension and the release exactly is, uh, yeah. is another way of putting it I guess yeah it's but exactly the really, same thing really doubled down on this benign violation theory benign you know violation. that's like how he got his tenure <laughs> And uh, <laughs> well, no, it's a very academic sounding term for yeah. sure. Oh, for sure, yeah, definitely <laughs> for sure. Uh, okay, sure, uh, let's go with that. Uh, well, I mean, that's just one way, it's like the consensus that any comic that he interviewed in the book says. So, you're looking for uh, an example of oh, just uh, like a tool that you found an early thing that I got from those, from those books. Um, okay, well, let's uh, the Julia Cameron books. Uh, were useful to me in that um, it basically gave me a list of everything I do to keep myself from writing. So that's the artist way? Yeah. yeah. Each chapter says, hey, do you do this? <laughs> and she would list out like a, a, a situation or a scenario. I'd be like, yeah, I do that all the time. She, mm-hmm. goes, she goes, here's why, here's why that's keeping you from writing. And she would like, explain like why you're doing that. Um, uh, a really early example, and this is a pretty simple one, is uh, this, this idea that everything has to be perfect. You know, a lot yeah. of, uh, uh, and you've seen comics do this where they write a joke and they're like, ugh, and they just hate it and they throw the page away. Yeah. And like, no, we'll keep working on it. You know, it's like, let it, it's, it's not done. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, and there's this idea that like, as soon as you put it on the page, it's done. And, and that's it yeah. for the process. Uh, and, I, and I was terrible about that. I would write down something, and if I couldn't get the line, I'd be like, and I'd and I just throw it away. Uh, and one of the things she taught me to do was like, okay, just keep writing it. Okay, okay, write it. It didn't work today. Write that same joke again tomorrow, but do something different. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was a very useful thing was this idea that, you know, <laughs> a comic's ego is like everything out of my mouth is hilarious. Yeah. Uh, and it's a humbling uh, but useful thing to know that, oh, you know, maybe 10% of what comes out of my mouth is funny. Right. Uh, and the other 90% is stuff that needs to be worked on. Yeah. Uh, and so that was, that was very useful for me to realize, you know what? I'm, I, this, is, this is more of a volume enterprise <laughs> than it is 
than it is yeah. a surgical enterprise. Yeah, anyone that I've been talking to at, at like my level of comedy, just open micer, you know, hitting hitting that thing, it's like I've, I've watched them go up and they, you know, just throw out things and they don't care, you know, like you know Alan Bromwell or uh, Andreas Bessarel. You know, these guys listen to podcasts; they'll they'll love hearing their names on it. Okay, maybe not Alan, but Andreas maybe. Uh, but you know, so it's like they're just. I was talking to Andreas and he was like, "Oh, I'm just, you know, I'm." He's basically told me that he's writing so much, it doesn't matter what he says on stage because he knows he's going to just write some more tomorrow. If it doesn't work, yeah. it's fine because I'm like, oh, if this doesn't work, then I'm crushed. Right. You know, like, ah, oh, I'm not funny. And like, this is, you know, yeah. I'm investing so much in one thing. Right. That it's like. Yeah. I, I, I've seen uh, one of the traps I see with uh, young comics is they, they get obsessed with the five minutes. Um, and, and by that, I mean, like, they keep working on that same five for way too long, way, way, way too long. So I've got comics now who I've been seeing for five, 10 years, uh, and they're still basically doing the same act. And it's because they're, I don't know if it's because they think it, they have to perfect that before they move on, or if they think that's enough, or I, I don't understand it myself. Mm -hmm. I, couldn't, I couldn't do that. Uh, I couldn't allow myself to get stuck that way. And, and again, that's a way of getting stuck. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, I'm still polishing this one. I can't possibly work on another one. Yeah. You know, and, uh -huh. and that's a trap. You know, um, if it's not working right away, uh, put it away for a, a month. Come back to it later. I, um, let me, let me just, here's, a, here's an example from my act. I, um, and, and it's funny, this is a joke I don't even do anymore, but... Uh, I, I wrote this joke about uh, 15, 20 years ago, back in Oklahoma even. And it was about the term uh, sexual preference. Mm -hmm. and, and I said, I don't like the term sexual preference uh, because a preference means if you can't have your first choice, uh, you'll choose something else off the menu. And I thought that was the joke. <laughs> and I would do the joke, and, uh, and I thought it was so funny, you know, it's like, because uh, it's a thinker, and, you yeah, know, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and so I would do it, and it wouldn't work, and it would make me so mad. It's like, come on, you know. And I would do everything I could. I'd like do my A material leading up to it, so it had this great platform, and then hit it, and it would just do nothing. I'm like, what, you know? <laughs> and and I would do everything I could to try to make that joke work. And I just finally put it away. And uh, and then about five years later, no, it was here in Denver. I moved to Denver, and uh -huh. I, and I was doing some bit. And I realized, wait, well, I can do that joke here, but um, I should act it out. Like, I should, like, what if I did the act out with it? Uh -huh. So I did the joke, and with the act out, all of a sudden it hit. And, it, and the problem wasn't the joke, it was the way I had presented the joke. Okay, yeah, because people couldn't see it. People like, see, see you. It was, I realized it was too cerebral. And that it needed uh, it needed an uh, illustration to, to yeah it, like the cartoons like it, the cartoons it, you start off with exactly you know, it like needed you want to see the... it needed that cartoon to illustrate it. yeah uh, and so uh, and when I added that all of a sudden it clicked mm -hmm. uh, and so that's an example of how like gosh you know if I had stayed focused on that joke for too long it, it I would have been stuck I'd still be working on that joke mm -hmm. but by putting it away and letting other stuff filter through. And then coming back to it with a different perspective. Oh, I yeah. know how to fix that. You know, you, you, sometimes you have to go work on another problem before you can solve an, uh, an immediate problem, and that's okay. It's okay because that's stand up. You got more jokes. 
think uh, it reminds me of something my therapist says a lot about, you know, just putting things, letting your the subconscious work on it. Because mm-hmm. the subconscious never stops. It's constantly, you know, mulling over stuff. So it's like, you know, yeah. you just kind of put it in the back of your mind and trust that it'll work itself out. I've, and then it comes out, you know. I don't know how many times I've talked to people. I'm like, you know, I've got this thing stewing around in the back of my head. And I've, I maybe I've written down some spare details. But, you know, I know it's there. Uh, but I'm just not ready to... You know, my, my brain is putting that, assembling the train. Mm-hmm. How is this going to work? You know, and it, it's that architecture thing. How, how do I get into it? How do I get out of it? Yeah. You know, what details do I have along the way that lead me through the building? Yeah, yeah. You're building the blueprint in the, the subconscious. I got a little, like I got a little blueprint going in my head yeah. right now. Um, I had an incident, and this is going to end up on, uh, in my act, and I'm so excited about it that I can't stand it. Okay. Because I, I did it for the first time on stage Friday at Three Kings, but it's not ready yet. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was there. I heard the, the dentist story. And, and it's, it's, a, I, it's a story about me going to the dentist, and uh, I'm getting fillings done, and all of a sudden, a John Denver song comes over the Pandora, and before we know all three of us are singing the song. <laughs> it was just a truly comic moment. Yeah, and, there, oh. and, and there's a lot of details that make it funny, uh, not the least of which is that both of my dentists are, are Mexican. <laughs> so, so the fact that they know all the words to this John Denver song just make it that much funnier. <laughs> and the fact that I'm there with tubes hanging in my mouth and I still cannot stop singing this stu- stupid Take Me Home Country, country Roads. Uh, but now I'm trying... The thing is, I've got the intro. I know how to get into it. There's a lot of funny details that won- make people want to go through the story. I just don't know how to end it because it just kind of ends with the, the situation and there's no resolution mm-hmm. other than, so I think what I'm, I think, see now my next approach thing, so now, now I'm in the approach, I'm like, oh, okay, how do I change my strategy on this piece? And this is great that uh, you can see a joke from start to uh-huh. how, how the process is going on it. Um, the next thing will be um, exit strategy. I got to figure out how to get out of it. So when I think of the story, I think, okay, what's the, what's the, the denouement. What's the, the the hook? Not the, not hook, the hook. Not the hook. The like the 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 big event that happens. Okay. You know the haha. You know I've I've the got the climax. A, right, the climax of the story, and I've got I, the hook is you know the hook is I've got you know I've got gay. That's Mexi- the intro. I've got gay Mexican dentist. That's my yeah. that's my <laughs> intro. Right? Yeah, yeah. That's also the hook, right? I mean, those yeah. are kind of the right. same. Yeah, it's the hook. It's gonna it's gonna that's what's gonna make people lean forward and go, oh, I want to I want to hear about this. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've been working on this thing called the click-through theory, which, like, if you imagine that your uh, joke is uh, a YouTube video and there's a page full of YouTube videos and you're trying to get them to click yours. Mm-hmm. So, like, if, if yours is like, I went to the dentist and something funny happened, you're not going to believe this. You might, uh, whatever. Yeah. But if you see when it says gay Mexican dentist sings John Denver, you're like, what? Yeah, <laughs> you know, you're yeah. going to click that right away. You're like, what, 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 what? Yeah. Because you don't care about the details. You, you, the details you'll get later. I think that also goes to broadcast journalism. Put, out, put it out there on exactly. Street. It comes to my broadcast journalism again. So I know how to get into it. There's, there's enough funny intro stuff there. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and I've got to set it up even if I have to distort the facts just a little bit so that there's a, um, there's a climax and, and a satisfying resolution so they get out, you know, so they get off the ride and they go, oh, that's a fun ride. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the resolution has to be me joining them at singing. 
So it has to be, I have to set it up in such a way that the doctor starts singing and then the assistant starts singing and then they get to the bridge uh, and, and not my bridge, the bridge. The <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> and, Perfect. See, I already have that one. No, yeah, that's good. <laughs> and, uh, and then I realize, oh, uh, they don't know this. They don't know it. So I'm like, what do I do? And I'm like, yesterday, <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> And now they sing for everything. Yeah. And it's true because when I told them the story, I went back the next day to get some more fillings the next day, uh, and they sang everything. Oh. <laughs> they didn't help back at all. They're like, oh, he's cool with it. All right, cool. Sweet. <laughs> and it's amazing how much, um, how much American folk oh. music they know. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, so, I mean, going back, I mean, if we're just you know, talking about a structure... Could you find the benign violation in that in that joke? I mean, not that we're trying to force. I just think it's interesting to see. If the benign get. violation is uh, is the idea that um, it's this very tense moment. The benign is the dentist. No, the the benign is the uh, the uh, the free spirit absurdness of the singing, inter interrupting the. Tenseness of getting your dental. Yeah, your, yeah. Your, Boom. Yeah, you, you got you, it. You think your dental, you know, when you think of going to the dentist, that's like, oh, that's a really tense moment. Uh-huh. Um, here, here's another analogy to, to encapsulate his benign violation, perhaps more simply. <laughs> if, you think of, uh, if you think of your joke as a balloon, mm-hmm. okay, and um, the information that you need and what you want is a, is a laughter, and the laughter is the pop of the balloon. Yeah. Okay. okay. So, so uh, you 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 fill it up with just the information you need, so it's just tight enough. But you don't want to fill it too much because it'll pop on its own. But you also don't want to underinflate it because then you're not going to have a satisfying pop, right? So you, you inflate it up to the thing. So just and the correct word is tension. Mm-hmm. You get just the correct amount of tension. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the benign violation in this case is the needle. Mm-hmm. Or the thing that... what, what, what pops the balloon. Yeah. So think of it that way. What pops the balloon? Yeah. Um, in this case, it's, it's the guy, it's in fact, my Mexican dentist knows John Denver's songs. Yeah, that's such a... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, was, a... it was pretty hilarious. Was, <laughs> I mean, I, I was, there came a moment when I said, hold on. As a Lopez, Mexicans love John Denver. All right. <laughs> <laughs> he... he he knows Cat Mexicans Stevens. From, oh, dude, he, I love Cat Stevens. <laughs> he knows, he knows, he knows oh, James love, Taylor. Yeah, he JT. Lo- see? See, you, you'd love this dentist. You should go to my dentist. <laughs> oh, man, I'm going to go. <laughs> because, oh, man. Let me get some insurance first, and then we'll go talk I about it. I have Medicaid. Oh, yeah? So, I, got, I, th- I got to figure out how to sign up for that. Dude, I don't know. dude. Okay. Dude. <laughs> yeah, dude. Uh, all right. First of all, uh, let's call Stephen A.J. Uh-huh. Because Stephen A.J. works for the company that oh. administers Medicaid. Interesting. He'll tell you what you need to do. You've got to get signed up. It's so simple. It is so simple. My credit is awful, and they couldn't wait to give me insurance. <laughs> awesome. All right. So I'm on Medicaid. It doesn't, cost, it doesn't cost me anything because I'm poor. Um, and I keep finding benefits that I didn't know. Like, I didn't know uh, Medicaid covered any dental. I thought, no, I'm on my own on dental. Mm-hmm. No, it turns out. It's like a thousand every six months, so that's enough for cleaning and X-rays and some minor work. Yeah, yeah, sounds perfect. I haven't uh, been to the dentist in years. So go <laughs> go talk to Steven. Get signed up. It's super simple. Do a lot of comics. You're like, hey, Steve, I need to ask you something. Not about comedy. I about keep I keep sending people to him because. <laughs> 
it, it makes me, uh, Nathan Lund was the same way. And I'm like, dude, you know, uh, your credit is not worse than mine. Right. <laughs> your relationship with the government is not worse than mine. Go sign Yeah, up. I'll definitely have to check that out. Because uh, if I hadn't done that like two years ago when, when the cancer hit, I'm like, I'd been screwed. I've been screwed. Right. So, and now it's saving my life again with this, with this dentistry. So for God's sakes, please, please, Take everybody out there, if you think, if you're thinking, well, I need to do it, just do it. It's easy. If I can, God, I'm, oh, for God's sakes, if I can do it, you can do it. Well, that's one of the, the I mean, one thing I'm, I'm super excited to hear you, you know, the passion that you're so bringing to the comedy. You're like, I'm excited to bring this bit to stage, you oh. know, and it's like, you know, oh. you're 30 years in and you still have that. Where is, uh, well, the other thing I love about this piece and it's funny that I think about it because, it, it, one, it's real. And so it's a situation like, like nobody can say, oh, that's contrived and everything. Because yeah, it, yeah. it really happened. But also, um, um, it's, it's a clean situation. Uh, and so, like, like, the first thing I thought, like, this is going to be like a three-minute clean chunk in my act. Yeah, yeah. Which is super useful, you know, super useful. And uh, the other thing I like about this piece is uh, it might be even funnier uh, uh, coming from Alabaster Cane. Oh, yeah. That's a character that you do. Southern gentleman. Um, I'm, I'm trying to put together a, an act. Alabaster for, Cane such a good name. <laughs> I'm trying to put together an act for Alabaster Cane uh, where he, he starts doing like five and seven minute sets around town. Interesting. Uh, and I would, uh, the idea of Alabaster Cane having a Mexican dentist is... Yeah, that is, yeah. Quite hilarious. <laughs> a yeah, gay Mexican dentist who loves John Denver. <laughs> See, it's funnier. With yeah, that is, it is. It is. <laughs> Why is that? See? Why is that? It makes no sense. It doesn't. Because, you know, I, I, no, I can, I can, let me get technically. It, uh, it adds to the, to the status conflict uh, if it's a Southern person because there's a hint of racism implied with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't have to mention race because they'll think, oh, it's a Southern guy. He's yeah. got this. The, the cultural context is there. The cult, yeah, in, in the cultural context, people will automatically assume that with a certain race position, even uh-huh. if it's not true. Sure. Um, so that's why it's funny. Then Alabaster can play with that. Absolutely. Norms. Well, that's the best thing about Alabaster. He's not racist at all. <laughs> He's not. He can't, all he cares about is money. Sure. That's yeah. it. If you can get him money, he doesn't care what race you are. Hell, I'm, I'm envious of that Nigerian prince. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That man knows business, if you know what I'm saying. Who's Alabaster voting for? <laughs> uh, uh, oh, gosh. He's, uh, gosh, it does me no good to wreck, to vote for a clown who wrecks the, the circus. Perfect. Does that make sense? The libertarian. You're going for the libertarian. I'm not going to vote for a clown who brings the circus down, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I make a lot of money off this circus. Sure. <laughs> Work in the system, right? Yeah. So that's, that's how Alabaster Kane would vote. Yeah, that's great. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to vote for a clown who brings the circus down. down. Oh, he rhymes too. I, I, it's so it, good. I've got two things. I'm glad we're recording this because I need to write both of those ideas down. Oh, you can listen to this again. <laughs> okay, uh, I will. I'm vain. Sweet. I'm vain. You, you know how many? It shocks me how many comics that are on that like just don't care to listen at all ever. And really? I'm like, yeah. Oh I'm my like, gosh. I listen to this like at least two times. I'll edit it and then I'll you know. I don't listen to the basketball one much, but no, because uh, I just I know what my opinions are. <laughs> But uh, you live them every day. Oh God, I can't wait to talk about the trade today. Anyway, um, 
Yeah, save it for that one. All I'll right. save it. But uh, I don't know anything about basketball, and I don't want to embarrass myself. Uh, but uh, gosh, my the, if there's anything that if there's one thing that I love more than basketball, it's, it's comedy, and so just talking about it is is amazing to me. And anything I can do to help. Oh, let's let me go through this creative whack pack a little bit. Sure, yeah. So to give you a sense what this is, and it's a it's a deck, and it's about I don't know like a hundred cards, would you say maybe? Mm-hmm. And they're kind of broken down into categories. Uh, of ways you can look at it. He, by the way, he put this out in a book form. You can find it somewhere. It's a very 70s looking thing. Even the artwork is very 70s. Uh, but he's got them broken down into like different, like this one is, oh, here's one. Get rid of excuses. And I, I need my glasses. Maybe you could read that one. When a Spanish explorer Cortez, land, when the Spanish explorer Cortez landed at Veracruz, the first thing he did was burn his ships. Then he told his men, you can either fight or you can die. Burning his ships removed the third alternative, giving up the returning to Spain. Sometimes it, uh, sometimes it takes more creativity to get rid of excuses than it does to come up with the idea. What three factors will make it difficult to reach your objective? How can you get rid of these excuses? Excellent. All right. So, yeah, it's got a little lesson from history, which is yeah. pretty cool. Okay, so basically what he's how that applied to me as a stand-up comic is uh, I, there's a lot of comics who are like, oh, man, I don't have time to write. Mm-hmm. You know yeah. what I mean? And they'll, mm-hmm. give them, they'll give themselves outs. Like, oh, I, I, you know, I've got kids. What am I going to write? Mm-hmm. You know, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and what you got to do is you've got to put yourself in a scenario where you can't use that excuse. Uh, and gosh, I, I hear every excuse in the book. That, that's another thing about being new talent coordinator. I hear all these excuses, and, I, and I've seen them all before. I'm like, that's an excuse. Mm-hmm. You know, and oh. I'm sure you can point to someone who you know, broke that rule or that. Cons- yeah. Oh, there was, uh, this happened like a, a guy was supposed to be on the other day, and he was late. And he's like, oh, he's coming down from Fort Collins. He's like, oh, there was traffic. But then there was another guy there from Fort Collins who had gotten there 30 minutes early. <laughs> I'm like, how do, he, how do you do that? You know? uh, and so it's... If you're aware that you're making excuses, then you can stop yourself from doing it. Uh, I don't know how these are broken up. It looks like there's like three categories. But some of them are personal, and some of them are approach things. Uh, like, like, like this one says, believe in yourself. That's more of a like... Self-affirmation. A lot of these are affirmations. You know, f- like, f- I think those are powerful. White, you know, fight for what's important. But then some of these are like, here's like, pause for a bit. That was something we were just talking about. You know how like you, uh, oh it's I've got to finish it now. Oh okay yeah. You know no put it put aside you know. Uh, see the positive. This is one. Gosh I use this one all the time. Um, so many uh, comics and especially young comics seem to think that comedy uh, uh, equals uh, cynicism. Mm-hmm. Like uh, it's negative. Like oh I, oh that's gonna work right? Uh, and they just think it's yeah. all sarcasm and everything. But for me, it, I think an an even more powerful co- form of comedy is satire, which is when you do it positive and it still exposes the hypocrisy of it. And, and, and to me, it's, it's funnier if somebody look, looks at something and sees a positive in something stupid uh, because it just exposes the absurdity of it. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you look at uh, Stephen Colbert is probably a great example of this. Rather than in this role as eyes, look what these stupid people are doing, he chooses instead to manifests himself as one of them mm-hmm. and he takes a positive approach hey here's why George Bush was a great president yeah 
and you know he doesn't mean it, and right. it's way more powerful that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. And it's so, I see the positive. A lot, a lot of times I, I'm like, hey, what if you took that as a, like a, a good thing? Or what if you said it this way, you know, uh-huh. instead of like, that sucks. Well, that's, everybody sees it sucks. Right. There's no art to that. Do you think uh, comedy should serve a higher purpose? You know, uh, subverting power, speaking truth to power, well, that's things what like it, that. It doesn't necessarily need to do that. It does have that capacity. But when it like goes to next level, universal appeal, do you think it, you know, it has to do those things? It has to. It has to talk about um, universal conflict, you know, because uh-huh. uh, that's our that's our driving factor is is that conflict in there. And so, yeah, I, I think. Um, it's one of those things where it can speak truth to power. Colbert doing the correspondence dinner is probably a great example of that, of him mm-hmm. doing it right in front of the president. Holy cow. <laughs> yeah. That's the bravest thing I've ever seen in my life. Uh, and so inspirational, too. Um, and nothing will ever be as powerful as that. Um, does it have the capacity to change anything? Um. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Maybe if if all we can do is maybe affect the dialogue a little bit, that's about it. Hmm. You know, we're just a little nudge. That's about it. Um, there's always a need for us. There's always a need for the person to say the emperor has no clothes. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then being able to poke fun at something, you know, takes away some power a little bit, gives people yeah. you know more fuel to you know maybe. Yeah. I don't know. These are just different. No, actually, absolutely. Just. Uh, a- uh, I'm just looking through some of these cards. They're so good. <laughs> God. Um, get out of the dogma house. <laughs> Interesting. Well, yeah. There's a, there's a tendency for people to like always uh, say things the way that people assume they should be said. You know, well, this is, this is what a person thinks, right? Mm-hmm. Well, no. You know, it's dogma. Uh, and you can get out of it. Be dissatisfied. Don't fall in love with ideas. Oh, that's a great one. That's hard. How do you? These are all your children. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Hemingway said you had to kill your babies. Right. Yeah. That's. Uh, <laughs> you have to kill your babies. So and, you did sketch. I mean, like I've done some some things for video and stuff, and I always hated collaborating with a big group because it's like I would, they always took the idea that I had, and then I felt like they were murdering my child. You know, it's just like no, you don't see. How this thing, everyone's trying to put their input, and I thought, you know, slowly but surely, they're just stabbing this thing and watching it bleed to death. Yeah. And, like, so how did you reckon with that early on, when, or, or how do you still reckon with that? Uh, well, I obviously didn't do very well, so because I, I left doing sketch and went into stand-up. I was right, like, well, yeah. screw you guys, I'll just write for myself. Um, no, I, I like it. Um, I, I <laughs> it's hard for me sometimes to hear... Uh, uh, to hear ideas, and it's um, that's something I still fight with um, is uh, outside ideas because I think I have such an idea what I, what I want it to be. But sometimes outside ideas really help. Um, it's it's hard because you have to sift through. <laughs> I had somebody suggest a tagline to me on a joke the other day, and it was so bad. It was such a bad like it was such an obvious like like the joke was like two or three beats removed. And this one was such a, like a surface joke, mm-hmm. like it, like it, like it was something about like some abstract thing, and it, like all of a sudden it brought it back to a dick joke or something. Like no, you know, and it was so. It's like, like to me, the tone was so obviously <laughs> wrong. Right. But how do you explain that to somebody, you know, uh-huh. with, without hurting their feelings? So I was like, oh, well, you know, maybe. Are there uh, people around town? I know you're friends with a lot of comics here on the scene, and it's like you know, most of them have been doing it for half the amount of time you are. Is there any anybody that you know? 
or do you take it? I mean, I take advice from anybody who has right. a good idea. Right. I, I yeah. mean, ideas are ideas. Um, was it Linus Pauling said the, the, the best way to have a good idea is to have a bunch of ideas. Perfect. Yeah. Just with the same thing with the joke. Yeah. You know, to have a good joke is to have just a bunch of jokes and see which one hits. Right? Exactly. Exactly. So like when I write a joke, sometimes I'll, I'll write it four different ways like just putting different phrases in different places to see if the flow makes more sense, if the equation makes more sense, like okay. they're going to they're gonna get it better because I simplified it. Um, the, my jokes are always, they always, it's weird. It's half my jokes start off long and then end up short. And then half the jokes start off like, like one phrase and it ends up being longer. Interesting. So it's, uh, it's not always the same approach. It's not always like take a long joke and make it short or take a short joke and make it long. I, I get it both. So have you been doing it so long that you can see it on the page and be like, okay, this will translate to the stage just fine, or like this one will be translate better, or do you have to get up and try it the four different ways as well? Um, gosh, it if it's at that stage, if it's at a stage where I'm like writing it three or four different ways, then a lot of it is going to have to, a lot of it is going to be what leads into it and what leads out of it, mm -hmm. like. Like uh, like a joke I know can stand on itself, I, I can pretty much see on a page. But if it's something where I'm writing three or four like that, then that means I'm still trying to figure out how it fits. Like like it's like a cog that, or a jigsaw puzzle piece that looks right, but maybe it needs to be in a different part of the puzzle someplace, you know? Okay. So I think at that point when I'm rewriting like that, it's like I, I, I know what the funny is in the joke. I just don't know how that funny comes out of me you know how how it's my version of funny mm -hmm. so it, that's that's where a voice comes in that's where you're like looking at it go okay which one of these fits me better and fits in my act better um but you you can't always you know it's not always that that one joke you might you might um try it one way and it works that way for a little while but then you find out later hey if i'd done it the other way it fits in here and that's a better fit and so you you still change it so again, you can't always think, "Oh, this is perfect." Right. You know, there is no real perfect. Hey, do you think a joke's ever finished? I've heard a lot of comics say it's no. just never finished. You just get it to a certain point where you're, no. you yeah, know, it's, it's and then when you record it, and then you just move on. It's never done. It's um, one of the analogies I always like to use is a your act is kind of like a, a snowball, and, and you're trying to pack the perfect snowball, you know, uh, and that's why you have to keep adding material because the more you pack it, like like a joke that used to take. A minute now takes 40 seconds or now takes 35 seconds you know or you do it a different way and because you, as you're putting the snow in it shifts mm -hmm. uh, so it's never perfect you know you just you just want to get it to the shape that's kind of how you want it and then you let it go sure <laughs> and you work on the next snowball so right. that's a weird analogy but it no kinda, I, I think it kind of works total sense to me yeah kind of works um I like or like a, you're some, pounding a samurai sword, you know, to uh, find it, the blade. I like this one. Imagine how others would do it. To so put yourself in someone else's shoes, you think is, because I think the whole thing is, you know, trying to get your voice, you know, yeah. trying to make it so yeah. true to you. But um, a lot of comedy is, is the reaction to what you said. Uh, think of uh, Jim Gaffigan and how often he goes to those people in the booth like, oh, he's doing the voice again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's imagine that's stepping out of right. That's imagining how somebody else sees it. Sure. Okay. Uh, and that's a useful thing um, because we we do tend to get stuck with our blinders on, just seeing it the way we see it. Um, 
like a, like the dentist joke. I'm trying to add an element to it about how, like, it would be funny if my Mexican dentist only played the folk music because I was there. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, Deacon's coming in. Oh, put on the put on the Gordon Lightfoot channel. <laughs> so they put it on just for me. And then as soon as I leave, it goes back to like Celia Cruz or something. Yeah, yeah. Like, what did they find? It's like you know, you, you cater the music to the to the customer. <laughs> like, like, like. Oh, that's very sweet of them. But you guys, I, I like the I like the Latin music too. You can. Or they think they're on point when you're singing along with them. They're like, "Yes, we did it. <laughs> We've we got nailed it. it. We, we nailed this one. I told yeah. you. Like they're like they're betting on it. I bet he likes Gordon Lightfoot. Yeah. I bet. No, he. no. He's more of a. You know. But see, that's the thing where I'm trying to now instead of thinking of my point of view, I'm trying to think of their point of view. Yeah, right? yeah. And that'll help tell the story. Oh, someone's trying to break into the comedy room. Room here. It sounds like people disagreeing with what I say. <laughs> uh, some, the, the my dentist outside. Quit talking about me. <laughs> Yeah, I think that reminds me of something uh, Ben Roy said on his talking shop was he puts all his jokes through the who, what, when, where, why filter. Yeah. And that, that helps him expand it, you know, from a joke to more of a bit. Yeah, because you got, you get, you've, got to, you've got to think of um, who else is involved. Um, you, so you, you, can look at, you can also look at it as subject-object. So who's the subject of the joke and who does the joke affect? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, the subject of the joke is me, obviously. I'm getting the dental work done. But, but the object is, the, is the, the other dentist. So you can look at... So the next obvious step is to go to that object, object and think, well, how did they see it? Mm-hmm. If, if you were directing a, a sitcom... Uh, and let me use a classic example. Um, imagine the scene in When Harry Met Sally where they're in the diner and she fakes the orgasm. Uh-huh. Right? So you see... So it shows... So it shows her, and it shows his reaction, and it shows her and her, and it shows a wide shot and him squirming, and it shows her, maybe it shows some other people paying attention back to him so that it amplifies his thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the classic line is she finishes it, and then it cuts to the lady, who, by the way, is Rob Reiner's mother. Oh. Yeah. It's <laughs> a cool little, little piece of trivia. Yeah, trivia fact. And she has the classic line. She goes, I'll have what she's having. Uh-huh. Right? But it's that... Other re- that other perspective that yeah. you weren't expecting all of a sudden that makes it so funny. Yeah, yeah. The building of the tension with the cuts and everything. Yeah, you know. like you've, this whole time you've been watching this guy squirm and then you realize other people have been enjoying the show too. <laughs> <laughs> it's, such a, it's such a great reveal. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's perfect. Um, but that's, a, that's an example of the who and the when and like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Now, now I can get this other perspective and that adds something to it. Yeah. Um, all right, so I like to usually uh, end this with uh, some lightning round questions. Okay. Uh, so just, uh, you know, kind of first, first uh, knee-jerk reaction, try not to snatch yourself too much, but it doesn't <coughs> have to be a one-word answer. It can be, you know, and it's all, all right. meant in fun. All right, ready? Who do you think you are? Uh, I think I'm, oh gosh, uh, uh, I'm <laughs> Mr. Chips. <laughs> Mr. Chips? Yeah. From? Oh, see, that's the... your age. Uh <laughs> Uh, there's From a the cop no, sitcom? No, <laughs> no. Oh, God, no, no, no. There's a fantastic movie. Uh, here's more, more movie trivia for you. <laughs> 1939, which was considered to be the best year movies ever. Gone with the Wind, Wizard of Oz, Ooh, okay, okay. blah, 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 blah. The Golden Age. Gone with the Wind swept all of the, all of the Academy Awards except for Best Actor. Uh, um, Clark Gable didn't win. Clark that? Gable did not win because of uh, Peter Donat, who played the lead in Goodbye, Mr. Chips. Okay. Uh, and it's a 
heartbreaking movie that makes you weep and weep and weep and weep. Uh, and I love it. And they remade it in the 60s with Peter O'Toole. But, oh. Um, Chips. But in, it's, a, it's a story about um, uh, an Englishman who um, he's a young teacher and he gets his first job at an English boys' school. And he can't get the, the kids to respect him, and he can't get them to pay attention. It's a teacher movie. Chalkboard jungle, kind of. Uh, sort of, but a, a very British way. Uh, uh, and, but then he meets, he goes to this, uh, he goes to a dance, to some teacher dance or whatever. Uh, and he meets this woman and falls in love. They do the, the blue Danube waltz. It's heartbreaking, blah, blah, blah. And she teaches him how to connect to the kids. Okay. And uh, but then, tragically, uh, she dies during childbirth. Oh. As is the British way. Right. That old chestnut. Uh, she dies, and the child dies too. So. He's, oh whoa! No. <laughs> so he's got nothing. Oh Jesus. Right. Um, so he, uh, but he commits himself back to the school, uh, and he, at one point, he's the dean of the school. He leads it through the war, and when he dies. Um, it's like this thing. He's like, oh, I've had all these children. What are you talking about? I've had millions of children. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a great movie. No, yeah. Wow. See, I'm getting all choked up talking about it. <laughs> no, that's great. I mean, I... I yeah, it's like heartbreaking. And, and you can see why he won. You're like, oh, man. Yeah. It's, yeah. So it's really good. So I'm Mr. Chips. Yeah, because you're giving back. You know, you've been doing this for years. I've got a school for comics, and I'm, I'm pleased. You know what I mean? Uh, it doesn't cost anything, and people can learn how to be a comic. So come learn how to be a comic if you want to do it. You know, I'm I'm here to help. Right on. Yeah. yeah, and I'm sure. I mean, plenty of people do appreciate your help. You know, and I'm sure you've gotten, yeah. you know, all these stories. And I, I think people misunderstand sometimes. I think they think I want to try to shape them into being me or whatever. And and I'm just really here to help people. I know I'm, I the club pays me. It's, I'm not. There's nothing in it for me other than, yeah, just doing it. So. And you only know your perspective. So how, I mean, you know, yeah, you can't. And, and it's just advice. You can take it or leave it. You know. Yeah. So, gosh. <laughs> I got some weird emails over some notes I gave last week, so it it happens. Yeah, yeah. Not everyone's as responsive, or you know. It. I think this person just took it. Um, some people take it very personally, you know, and mm-hmm. and I understand that it's their art, you know. Um, and they, I I don't think they understand my perspective, which is you know, this is all part of a process, and I and I'm not trying to say that you're a bad comic if like. If I give you some criticism on your on your act, I, in fact, I never criticize anybody as a person. It's always something they did on stage, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's not if I say that it's not that I think you had a bad set or that you're not not <laughs> improving or anything like that. I, I want everybody to improve. That's the goal. Everybody's supposed to get better, and that's the idea. That's that's why I once started doing notes again because we want we want to help people get better. But you guys got to not take it so personal. No man, it's it's hard. I mean, for me, because it's like I'm, these are me on stage. I'm putting my jokes out. I I get it. And if they don't like me, I mean, if they don't like the jokes, then they don't like me. You know, they're definitely rejecting me. No, no, that's That's, not it. (laughs) Yeah, it's hard to keep that perspective when you're going down the spiral. And 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 like is is a wrong word. We shouldn't say they didn't like the joke. You know, it's more it's more likely that it was unclear to them or they didn't understand what you were saying. It's 
when an audience doesn't laugh, nine times out of ten, it's not because it's not funny. It's because it's not presented right, or it's not the idea isn't clear. Yeah, there's a communications breakdown. Right. Yeah. And so if I if I'm telling you, hey, this would be better, you know, if you communicate it this way, you know, it's not a like or dislike thing. It's like, hey, you could you could sell this idea better this way. Sure. So, I, so take it or leave it. Kind yeah, of. We, we need to take the like and dislike out of it. Mm. Let's take this Facebook rating out of stand-up comedy. Oh, it's like, it's not that they, didn't, they liked or disliked the joke. It's like, I didn't present it right, or I didn't, it, it's not clear to them, mm-hmm. or the irony isn't sharp enough. You know, maybe uh, they're not as invested in the topic as you are. There's a, yeah. there's a lot of reasons why people don't laugh, and it's not like or dislike. Uh, we, need, we need to take that personal emotion out of that yeah it's hard to do but i mean i know it's really hard to do but you know you you want them you want to charm them you want them to and again like isn't the right word you want them to enjoy hearing you yes you know what i mean so you're seducing them in a way yeah you uh, and enticing them to nobody laugh. nobody likes it nobody wants to be lectured sure you know you, you don't go to a comedy club to get a uh, to get a school lesson uh, to have a teacher telling you what's right and what's wrong. Uh, nobody does that. You, you go uh, because you want, to hear, uh, you want to hear strong opinions. You want to hear uh, contrasting ideas, things you hadn't, that hadn't occurred to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you. And you want to have a good time. That's the idea, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so this idea, oh, like and dislike, they didn't like that joke. Well, no, it's, it, they're here to like the jokes. They're, they're predisposed to like the joke. So if they didn't respond, it's because it's unclear. It's, yeah. it's because they didn't, they didn't get what you were trying to say. And, and so maybe you should think about the presentation or you should think about how the irony is represented or, or think if it fits the tone of what you're saying. Because a lot of times tone kills a joke too. Yeah, that makes sense. So yeah, let's, let's take like and dislike out of this. I, I don't like that term. <laughs> I'm going to stop saying that. They didn't like that joke. No, they didn't get that joke. They, I didn't present that joke right. No, that's great. I think it puts the uh, you know responsibility on you, you know, and it's you know oh, encourages you to do you know uh, introspect. You know, I've done, gosh, of the thousands of shows I've done, there's only been a few where the audience wasn't there to have a good time. Mm-hmm. You know, there's only been a couple, and and other than that, if they're not laughing, they're, you know, they're there to have fun. Right. Especially at the club, like that's oh my god! Especially comedy works, but even some of these horrible road gigs, you know, um, and I'm, I should name this guy because he's such a cock, but I won't. But there's a there's a there's there's a gig in Stillwater, or used to be Stillwater, Oklahoma, which okay. is where Oklahoma State University is. All right, uh, and that's the number two school in in Oklahoma. I'm going to say it because I'm an OU graduate, <laughs> but uh, but it's a college town, so you think okay, whatever. Uh, and it wasn't a bad gig, and I, and, I, and I did it, but the guy gets up on stage, and he has this idea that stand-up comedy is like a, like a Wild West show, and that the audience has free reign to talk to the stage. Mm. And, and, as, and he's developed that over the, over the months. Like, every comic he's in, he comes out, and he kind of just Ugh. almost encourages them. It's a firing squad. To talk, just, to, yeah. to, talk to the crowd. And you know my act. I have I have jokes that I've crafted. I want them to pay attention to the jokes. Right. I mean, I want them to like me. Right. But I, I gosh, I want them. I want them to pay attention to the jokes because they're kind of crafted a certain way. Yeah. And you have to pay attention. And if they're not paying attention, then I'm. I'm. It's going to be difficult for me. But 
even in that scenario, I still took the approach like these guys want to have a good time. Yeah. You know, they want, even though it's going to be not what I want, <laughs> which is the case, I really didn't want to do that kind of show. Mm -hmm. But it turned out being an interactive show. And this is where the improv came back and helped me. Yeah. Um, but I found sneaky ways to kind of work the jokes in. And I dropped some of the more heady, show, heady jokes. And I just had to kind of get over the disappointment. Like, okay, I was disappointed because I couldn't do what I wanted to do. But I was also disappointed for them in a weird way. Like, wow, these jokes are pretty good if you guys had just paid attention to them, you know? Right. But I gave them what they wanted. And sometimes, sometimes you got to give the people what they want, even if it's disappointing. And that's what it was that night. It was very disappointing. It was very <laughs> oh, man. But, but I had good shows. The guy put clips up online of me, you know, interacting with the audience. Like, oh, look how good he was, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, no, that's the last thing I wanted to do, you know? So it's funny. It's funny how... Uh, people have different perspectives. Of yeah. But even then, but that goes back to the like and dislike thing. Uh, even then, you know, um, even though it wasn't what I wanted to do, it, it still, I still felt like it was on me to entertain those people. Do you think that's what the job of the comedian is? Yeah. Is just to entertain, period. Or just to no, get laughs? Well, or not, uh, not to entertain, period. But you, you've got to adjust your ideas to what's possible. It's like politics. You know, everybody has this idea like, we'll go in and we'll change things dramatically. But you can't do that in politics. It's, a, it's degrees. It's shade. Uh, and it's the same thing in stand-up comedy. That, like, you might have an audience, and yeah, it's a disappointing that they're not going to get my jokes, and I'm going to... And some comics, you know, they're at a position where they can talk down to that crowd and they can walk away from it. God bless them. God bless them. But that's never going to be my approach, you know? Uh, I, I, I got into this because I wanted to entertain people, and I wanted... I had funny ideas and I wanted to share those ideas. And it's, it, you know, to me, it's a little bit like being a, a car salesman mm -hmm. and saying, you know what, I'm not going to do the tough sales. Well, that's part of the job. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's still your job to sell that car. Right. Uh, and so for me, uh, that's to me, the job of comic, I got hired to entertain this crowd. And, and, and if, even if they're tough and even if it makes it tough for me and it's a pain in the ass for me, you know, I'm still going to try, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm, I'm not going to blame them. I, I, I get, this bothers me too when I see comics complain like, oh, they asked me to do a clean show. Ugh. Like it's so beneath them or something. And it's like, well, no, that's just a different audience. And that's what they want. That's like a car salesman saying, oh, they want me to sell them a minivan. Well, yeah, sell them a minivan. You know? Yeah, that's your job. You that's sell, your job. You sell cars. You, you might not like minivans, but who cares? It's your job to sell cars. So, hmm. I don't know. That's, yeah. And that's another reason why I'm excited about the dentist space, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's one of those pieces I can do anywhere. Yeah, that's, I heard that's an anywhere piece. Yeah, and that makes you more valuable. Like, to the club is something you talk about in your talking shop. Like, you, give, you don't give people reasons to say no to you, and that's, that makes you more... That's valuable across show business. Yeah. And uh, if, if you can do what they need, guess what? <laughs> they, people in show business are lazy. Let's just admit that. Oh, yeah. People in show business are lazy. I can't get Medicaid. Apparently, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> and the reason... And, and so when they're like, hey, should we hire him? Uh, okay. You know, there's no reason to say no because sure, they're lazy. Yeah. If, if they say yes, if they say, oh, no, we shouldn't hire him, then that means more work for them. They have to find somebody else. Mm -hmm. Oh, but I can do it. Oh, okay. Well, that makes it easy. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. They're lazy. Um, are you an artist? We already kind of talked about this. But oh, God, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. 
Uh, but here's the thing. Um, you, I think there's levels to that. Uh, I think stand-up comedy, and I think most art forms are this way too, because you can say this about sculpture or architecture or, or furniture making or, or writing or any, any kind of expression of art. I think basically what we do, it begins as a craft. Uh, and there's craftsmanship involved and you have to understand how to, to build and how to create. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that like all crafts, it can be elevated to an art. You know, um, there's plenty of comedy out there that is not art. Sure. There's plenty of it out there and it's just shoddy craftsmanship. Um, so is stand-up comedy an art? Yes, it can be. It definitely can be. Um, and there's times on stage when I felt very much like an artist. And then there's times on stage I felt very, very much like a workman. You know, I'm just doing work. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I have kind of, we haven't even talked about, like I, there's kind of a spiritual component to what I do too. It's interesting because you came from a religious family, right? Yeah. Your but brothers are preachers and you were almost going to be a preacher. But it's a different way. It's a different kind of spiritual. Um, here's a, uh, this is a weird influential book, but uh, Salman Rushdie. who wrote, Heard the name. Yeah. He, he was had a fatwa put against him by Iran in the, in the 90s. <laughs> uh, well, let's hear his book. What is his book? <laughs> but he wrote a children's book. This is so weird. He wrote a children's book called uh, Haroon and the Sea of Stories. Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, Haroon uh, was a little Indian boy, and his uh, his father was a master storyteller. That was what he did. Awesome, great and, title. Yeah, and what and he uh, he would travel from town to town, and people would come from far and wide and gather uh, to hear him tell these stories. And his stories were never the same, and it was like a seemingly endless supply. And Haroon could never understand, like, how do you keep, you know, where where are these stories coming from? Uh, and in the book, there is a literal sea of stories that's, that this man, the storyteller, was able to tap into. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't him creating the story. It was him channeling the story, and the story went through him. He's a vessel. Right, exactly. Uh, and there are, there are definitely times on stage when I don't feel like I am creating, I feel like it's coming through me. Uh, That's I, a powerful thing. And I feel like I've tapped into something greater than yeah. me. Yeah. Um, and, and so that book really kind of gave me a nice metaphor for yeah, that. Yeah, no, that sounds great. <laughs> uh, uh, and of course, some evil guy tries to destroy the sea of stories and Haroon has to save the day and everything. But mm -hmm. it, it's, a, it's a lovely little kid's book, but I love the metaphor behind it so much. This idea that there's this other source out there. Like, and, it, and we can just call it comedy if we want. If we want to just, it's... <laughs> Joseph Campbell, hearing hear me pulling yeah. in somebody from another source, uh, said that he, his definition of God was that there was a force so great in the universe that we feel connected to that we can't we can't describe it's too sublime is the word he used it's so great that we can't our human brains cannot understand it but we feel connected to it we feel like it's part of us somehow 
and it feels like it connects us to everybody else. And so to understand it, we give it a name, and that name is God, mm -hmm. right? I feel that way about comedy. Like, I feel like there's some creative force out there, and I can't describe it, but I feel connected to it somehow, and it feels like it pushes me mm -hmm. and flows through me, even though I don't want it to sometimes. <laughs> Uh, and 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 you could call it God, but I I, I call it's the it the force. I call it comedy. You yeah, know, yeah. it's it's I it's the sea of stories. It's yeah, it's this other thing that I'm I feel connected to. That um, the main thing for me is just to get out of its way. Yeah, yeah. You know, is to let it flow and and to not do things that keep me not connected to it yeah yeah get rid of those excuses like they're talking about them. get rid of the excuses and that and then it goes back to that book you know uh the artist way it, like it was a, a dozen ways that i was disconnecting myself from that and elizabeth gilbert talks about in her book that was like the big creative uh you know book that opened my mind was you know uh, she talks about you know the muse being this force you know and it has to find you working you yeah. know yeah and like uh you know, you're a vessel for this cre this creativity. Yeah. And, like and, and you have to be open to it. That's the thing. Uh, I think a lot of people uh, maybe deny it. Like, oh. It's scary. You know what I mean? Like, oh, no, this is, this is just all work and blah, 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 blah. But I think there's a part of you that has to be open, if you want to use the word muse, but you have to be open to that higher thing that higher the voice woo -woo of it yeah i like it i like it i find it, i think it's oh it's fa it's great and uh, to me that's that's always my goal like if i if i do a headline set I, I i hope that there's a couple of moments during that set where i feel like it's just coming through me right and i'm and i'm not presenting um and that's and i guess that's my goal that's really oh, that's... what i shoot for on stage do the... you think you would you would find such comfort in, in it or see it this way if you hadn't grown up religious um, I don't maybe because I'm connecting with it, and it was something maybe. I was kind of really religious. I get I got more of this idea uh, through Joseph Campbell than I did through the religion part. Um, I I saw the power myth when I was in high school, and that really played with my head. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I've always been really fascinated with mythology. When I was a kid, I had mythology. I love it books. too. Yeah, Greek mythology. Oh, um, you know, so much to the dismay of my parents. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> but. Oh. <laughs> Hey, what? Here's what other people used to worship. Hey, nope. you ever think the person we worship might be obsolete? Oh Jesus! <laughs> yeah. that? Oh no! That's a good question to ask your <laughs> religious parents, isn't it? Um, I bet. I bet a thousand years from now, people will be like, "Jesus, who's that?" <laughs> <laughs> uh, what? I'm grounded. Okay. Those are the comic strips <laughs> you're writing at that. Yeah, that was, what if it was? Oh, yeah. What if I turned into some fifth grade comic strip and it's just so advanced, oh, like yeah. super it's meta, like like the teachers are showing it to each other, like <laughs> I don't even get this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> that would have been the best. Yeah. <laughs> no, see, the horse represents. <laughs> <laughs> I would love that. Yeah. Uh, I would love to see the look of the teacher's face and looking at this 11-year-old kid like, you are, you've got a future of something ahead of you, but we don't know what it is. Now, now practice your recorder. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right, Deacon. Well, thank you so much for uh, coming out and doing it. I really appreciate it. And I uh, usually let the guests sign us off however they want. Or if you, know, you want to let people know where you can find you as well. Oh, gosh. Um, Do you have a website? I, I don't really have a website. Um I just want to encourage people. That's if I if I could leave with a, a last message, it would be just like 
Stand-up comedy is, you'll hear this a hundred times, but it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Uh, you have to understand the whole thing is a process. And, and most of you new comics, you're very, very early in the process. And, I, and you can't see it because of your perspective. You're, you're right there at the start, so you don't understand how long it, it, it is and how long it can be. And, and honestly, what you get out of it is what you put into it. And um, what, you, what you want... Um, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to vary from comic to comic, but you just have to find uh, the level that makes you happy. Um, I know a lot of people look at me and they're like, oh, I'm, I don't really pursue fame because that's not why I'm doing this. Um, but you have to find your own level as an artist, what, what makes you happy, what makes you feel complete. Um, and just remember, it's a process. It's not going to be perfect right at the start. Um, but the idea is to get as close to perfect um, or as close to that higher power that we talked about there at the end as possible. Um, and, then, and then it can be very rewarding. Uh, so just don't be frustrated. Don't give up. There's, there's lots of time to, room, to grow and, uh, and plenty of room to grow here in Denver. So keep growing. Awesome. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.